Welcome to Homicide, Inc. I'm Peter Von Gom. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Japanese true crime writer S.A. Osborne. He'll be sharing with us some very bizarre and intriguing stories that he's investigated. You can check out S.A. Osborne's true crime stories on Medium. That link is in the show notes of this podcast. A real quick shout out to Jojo Arakawa for your review of the Homicide, Inc. podcast on Apple Podcasts. Very much appreciated. He writes, True crime at its best. This is such a well-done podcast. The show is well-researched, and the host is a pro narrator. Each episode wonderfully engaging. Wow, that is great to hear. If you too would like to have a shout-out here on the podcast, please send me a screenshot of your comment, and I will do so. That email is in the show notes of this podcast. Your review and rating on Apple Podcasts is crucial to the growth of the show, so I very much appreciate your contribution. And without further ado, here's S.A. Osborne. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. It's good to be here. Your true crime focus is on Japan. Is that correct? Yeah, because I want to write about something I really enjoy. And I try to think, what do I really enjoy? And I realized that crime is one of the things that I've always enjoyed since I was like, junior high school. So I decided to write about crime, but I decided I'll like focus more on Japanese crime. One, because I'm living in Japan. And two, because I actually don't, I didn't know too much about the crime in Japan. I, I'd hear like those, you know, those stories that are like, you know, the gossip kind of, oh, did you hear about that guy who cut off this guy's head? Or, you know, those kind of like super, super crazy crime stories I hear about in, 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 in and around town. So I started looking up those ones, and then I came across a whole bunch of other stories that were just as weird or crazy. And so I just decided, okay, I'm going to write all these stories because most people who don't live in Japan and don't speak Japanese don't know about those stories. Sorry, that's my dog in the background. He's okay. like coughing up something. Sorry. <laughs> did you hear that? I did. I did <laughs> okay. hear that. Perfect background music for the for the podcast. I thought you'd had somebody yeah. tied up there, gagged and tied up. <laughs> exactly. Someone's dying in the back, yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. yeah, basically, I wanted to write about Japan. And the more I researched on Japan, the more I realized there's a lot of stories that most people who don't speak Japanese know about. So I decided not only is it interesting for me because I'm learning about all these crimes I never heard of, and uh, some of them are really bizarre, but it's a good way to share and I get to write. So it's kind of like all my hobbies rolled into one. You know, as most of the world knows, Japan doesn't have a lot of crime. The, the crime that is perpetrated that, that people, most people know about is usually pretty spectacular. Yeah, there's a lot of bizarre, bizarre crimes here. That's the first thing I noticed when I started writing my articles. Is there is there any particular case that you have written about that is particularly astonishing? Um, actually, I would say almost like 75% of the stories that I come across blow my mind. And that's why I decided to write on them. Like I said, mm-hmm. I started with the ones that were like really big news around Japan, like that every student or parent or, you know, friend that, that you, that's Japanese tells you about. Like, um, you know, the boy who came to America, he didn't know the word freeze, and then he got shot by some American. So stuff like that. Right. Or like... On Halloween night or yeah, something, Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. On Halloween. Um, they thought he was coming in for a Halloween party, but he was actually at the wrong house. 
Um, uh. But the actual ones in Japan, like the, the Otaku Killer and then the Akihabara Massacre and all those big ones, I started off with those big ones because that's the ones that people were telling me about. But mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest ones that is not that popular and is actually pretty recent, I think it happened around between 2014 to 2017, um, mm-hmm. was about this a Japanese woman who was actually born in Brazil, but she's Japanese, but she grew up in Japan. But then when she was a teenager, she went back to Brazil and decided to get her Brazilian citizenship and become Brazilian. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she wanted to move back to Japan because she's originally Japanese. Her roots are Japanese. But because she was a she had chosen a Brazilian citizenship, she was having a hard time getting a job. And, you know, it's not really racist, but you know how it's kind of harder for um, compared to Japanese people for foreigners sure. to get jobs and stuff. So even though she was 100% Japanese, because her passport was Brazilian, she was considered Brazilian. So she was having trouble finding a job and she was having like tough times. So she actually searched out a friend on Facebook and mm-hmm. kind of did like a reunion from like their elementary days because she used to live in Japan. And she decided right. she's going to kill her and steal her identity so she could have a Whoa. Japanese passport. And then she actually killed her, but then she didn't only just kill her. She needed to like hide her body, but she didn't want know what to do with it. So she was actually living in Tokyo, but she killed her in Osaka because that's where the girl was from. So she mailed yeah. her the girl's body in like, delivery to tokyo to herself and then she kept the body in her house for a month and then she like and then she stored it in a storage locker for a month before she took off to china with her friend because she wanted to start a new life in china um and And using this girl's identity exactly and that's how she kind of got caught because even though she made the passport because she specifically targeted the girl because that girl had never left japan so she didn't have a passport so it it wouldn't be forgery or like stealing or or like you know buying a fake passport she would just make a passport in the girl's name with her face it's much easier to do that way and the the, the, i guess the biggest thing about this uh, the body sending the body was that in why it became kind of popular was um the I guess the note that, you know, where you have to write what are the contents inside right. the box. She wrote like a life-size um, clay doll, ningyo. Wow. So they thought they were, and it's a candle with care. And so like she bubble wrapped it and made sure like drained as much blood as she could from it and stuff. And then sent it over from yeah. Osaka to Tokyo. So I think that was like one of the weirdest ones I've ever uh, wrote about. Oh, man. Yeah. I've never, I have not, I have yeah. not read that one that yeah. you wrote and I've not heard of that case. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like a really weird, bizarre case that should be on the, like, in you know, a top 10 weirdest list of those weird crimes and not right. many people know about it. So that's why, uh, if you want, you can, in a future episode, you could definitely talk about that. Yeah. But it's a very Please. interesting case. There's so many like twists and turns and it's like a movie. Um, Cause then oh, man. it's China, she's in China, but then she gets caught, but then she's Brazilian. So they want to deport her to Brazil, but Japan wants her because she's wanted for a murder here. So it's just so much like international things going on. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And obviously she put a lot of thought into her scheme, right? Exactly. Like she pre-planned wow. pretty much everything. And then she also, did, you know, after she actually killed, she actually went to a whole bunch of things. Like she had her credit card. So she used her credit card for buying different things to send. She even paid using the girl's credit card to send her body mm. to the other house. And then she Jeez. also, yeah, she also like, um, used all her money to you know make make the passport and do all that stuff 
and she also would email a text message her parents the girl's parents pretending that she's still alive so they wouldn't right. report her missing or anything as well and stuff like that so it was really weird that is so bizarre. I'm yeah. talking about kicking a dead horse. She steals her credit card <laughs> and then char- charges her card right. to ship her to ship her dead body. I, I think she had, I think she had like five to ten thousand dollars of debt built up on that girl's credit card. And she not only had that credit card because she had the passport in the girl's name. She also I think she went to the medical center and used her name and her card for like medical reasons and for purchasing more credit cards and she tried to go to banks and try to get more loans through her name and stuff and so she amount uh, like surmounted a whole bunch of debt in the girl's name too so it was really crazy incredible yeah incredible that's 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 evil genius it is it is yeah to come up with that that kind of scheme wow yeah, yeah. and i'm surprised she got caught because she pretty much planned it perfectly and i'm surprised that in china they were able to figure out that i don't even know how exactly they figured out but they pretty much figured out that her name and her the name of and her picture or something they were like the mm. passports are real passports so there's nothing wrong about the passport i think they figured out something about her name or something so uh, yeah so wow. they were able to well, you know geez. get her yeah it was almost the perfect crime exactly yeah yeah so yeah, oh, and then just oh, stalking oh. her on facebook and stuff too that was kind of crazy too like searching her she was trying to find a friend from japan that she knows who you know doesn't have like a passport who's never left japan would be like you know, living alone, doesn't have a family, have kids or anything. Right, she maybe would, doesn't have a lot of friends. Yeah, exactly. That would necessarily miss her. Yeah, yeah. So she was like targeting a whole bunch of people possibly. I don't know if she tried to get a whole bunch of other friends and this is the only one that she could get, but I don't know. So yeah, it was pretty pretty weird. So, that is weird. That yeah. is weird. Yeah, well, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the show mm-hmm. was one of my more favorite cases that you covered which was about the JAL, the JAL Airlines ah, yes. uh, catastrophe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that was back in the 80s, yeah, right? Yeah, right, 1982, I believe, yeah. Right, yeah. Seiji Katagiri. Yes, the, the, the pilot of Flight 350. That is just insane. Yeah. What, what, what happened with this? Uh, can, you, can you tell us about it? I mean, what, what's the, the, what, what led up to... The um, crash and yeah, I think like that's the thing. I think the 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 sad thing about the story was like it was earlier on, so it was in the seventies, like late seventies. So I guess you know a lot of things weren't as modern as they are now. So maybe some things got missed. But I would say there was a lot of signs of Seiji having mental illness and uh, mm-hmm. has something going wrong with him. He was having hallucinations and. He was acting weirdly, not only with his family, but with also his colleagues. And he was a pilot, so you would think there would be a lot more like care about that. But a lot yeah. of things that kind of, you know, no pun intended, was slipped under the radar. <laughs> and like he was right. just like, like for some reason, given so many passes. And it was also kind of a mix of the Japanese culture, because I think one of the reasons, what the main reason was the day he crashed the plane. The day before, he was actually probably going to do the same thing. He was acting weirdly and doing strange things, but it was the co-pilot who was able to control the flight and like get it back mm. on track. Um, right. But he didn't report anything because he thought, well, you know, ko- senpai, kohai kind of thing. He's my senpai. Yeah, right. So I can't like really, you know, rat him out because he's, he's my boss. Right. And so he kind of kept quiet. And then the next day, 
Uh, unfortunately, he tried the same thing again, and this time he was more successful. He they were still be able they were luckily able to get control of it just in time that it wasn't like a complete 100% you know like disaster where everyone died but uh, unfortunately it wasn't enough to save you know the flight because it did crash and I think 24 people were killed in the flight right Um, right. and what was weird was like right after the flight like within like as soon as the flight hit uh, Seiji was out the door he kind of just took off he was on he was one of the first people on the lifeboat to get out and he pretended to be a salary man and he was just like smiling yeah. in the camera and the newspaper and everything like when the media was reporting he's like has a big smile on his face while there's a lady next to him covered in blood and he's just like laughing so yeah, you could tell something's definitely wrong with him so right that was in- incredible i mean so much for the the pilot or the captain going down with the ship exactly yeah right because that's he was the I think first I th- one out yeah the policy is you're supposed to get all the you know the, the flight attendants and the pilots are the last to leave a plane in a disaster. Right. But uh, he was the first, pretty much. So, yeah. It and was, he tried it was to a... slip in. Sorry. Yeah, he, he yeah. He tried to he... slip through with the, the other passengers and and, and uh, in disguise, basically. Exactly, exactly. And he, and he was kind of injured, but not that injured. But he was quickly picked up by jail and, and, and taken to a hotel and given, like, medical service. So he was kind of, like, taken care of right from the beginning. And I think, see, that's the thing. Like, I did some research, but... I, I don't know if you know, but I'd like a lot of crime information is only in Japan for some reason. The media only covers it for that little small amount of time, and then they just move on to the next thing. And then so they mm-hmm. don't really go from start to finish of what happened. And a lot of the crime information, like they don't like archive it either. So it's hard to find a lot of articles or news stories or whatever online. So it's kind of hard to you know get a hundred percent of the information that really happened, but through a little bit of like old articles or sometimes they'll do like a 40 years later kind of update article on newspapers or some blogs will have some like information. So using all of that stuff, uh, that's how I kind of, um, there's always, uh, you know, you don't know what's fake news, you know what's not, but um, there's some information like JL knew about what he did, but they didn't want it to be discovered by the media so they kind of kept him out of the media and kind of made it seem that he had died in the crash and he was somewhere in the water somewhere because he was missing even though he had been picked up right away so it took a while for the media and everyone to figure out what was going on exactly so you know things like that so it was a very odd case yeah so basically he as you mentioned he had been acting erratic Mm -hmm. and uh there were red flags yeah, but. not even more than red flags. He was actually let, not put on leave for a while um, because he was diagnosed with, um, I'm not sure exactly, I don't know if it's depression or schizophrenia, I can't remember exactly, but he was mm-hmm. he was definitely diagnosed with some kind of in- mental illness and he was taken off duty. And I think he was in treatment, but the, the therapy or the therapist said his, yes, they confirmed he does have mental illness, but they said it wouldn't, wouldn't be um it, it wouldn't affect his it wouldn't his affect his abilities. like flight ability so he yeah he's mental but he can still be in a pilot so they sent so jail is like okay cool you check you know just follow the checklist he's good to go and he was put back on flights and uh i think that's i think that's that was more than a red flag that was like he actually was diagnosed and still even yeah. though he was let go once he was allowed to fly again 
and then I guess there was no real checkup after once the therapy therapist said you're good to go there wasn't any ongoing check on him maybe and so just he started getting worse and hallucinations got worse I think there was a point where he started telling his family that he's not Japanese he's like a foreigner and stuff like that so I think he was having like strange delusions and stuff so and then he, there was a information about the army he thought Russia was going to attack Japan yeah. and start a war and stuff like that so he wanted right. to pretty much he said he crashed the plane because he'd rather die on his own accord than be captured by the Russians and you know be tortured or whatever he thought right, was going to happen right. to him so yeah Jeez he was not uh, he was not all there unfortunately so well they have certainly kind of ramped up their their research and you know yeah security and mental health checks right yeah i think so i think especially after what 911 i think that's when everybody around the world had to yeah, pretty much do yeah. that right well so, it's speaking of like yeah. mental illness um there's not a lot of mental illness support here in Japan. And that's part of the reason, I think, why this, this had yes. slipped through. I, th I would imagine that if this guy, this is back in the 80s, this is like you know, early 80s, but yeah, yeah. You know, other Western countries are much further ahead than Japan in, in many aspects. Um, you know, equal, equal rights, women and men, equal pay and, and yeah. mental health and stuff like that. Well... The mental health yeah. care, yeah. like the employee assistance programs, mm -hmm. um, are really very new in Japan, uh, like within 20 years. Right. And only more like international companies, right? Yeah. Usually. Yeah. 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 Not Japanese companies. Usually. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a, it's a very new thing where they're realizing, hey, you know, our employees need to have, you know, support, counseling and, and things. And especially mm -hmm. somebody who is in charge of of a of an airline with hundreds of people on board you know right yeah so so what transpired in this flight so basically they were flying from tokyo to was it fukuoka i think not far out from tokyo he started acting weird so actually and the day the the day it's reversed the day that he almost crashed was the day he went from tokyo to fukuoka Okay, so it was a return and then trip. The return flight. The next day was Fukuoka to Tokyo, and they were like literally like, I think, five hundred meters or something like that from the, the from runway. the actual place where they crashed. Yeah, the runway just off the edge of Tokyo Bay. But like, I think, just it's it's a very short flight, right? I think it's like ninety minutes or two hours or something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so mm. yeah, within an hour within the flight, he was already kind of acting strange, and then in the last 20 minutes of the flight when they're starting to get the the landing instructions and stuff, instead of, like, confirming things, he just kept, kept saying, check, check, check. And then, so that was kind of weird. But then he started, like... And I think the main thing is when he finally... I think when he finally snapped, he took the... Once the landing started, he took the the autopilot off. And then he just manually thrusted forward and tried to go down and just tried right. to like go straight to down and that's when the, the stick yeah and then the co-pilot and then the engineer who was with them they both kind of was fighting with him while they were you know plummeting and trying to like pull it back um and eventually they were able to get hold of the gear but like i said before just before they could do it, it unfortunately it was too late so they kind of like slid right on the water uh, onto the edge and they actually made it onto the runway i believe i think they like slammed into that like edge area 
and so one of their wings fell off and like it actually like the plane made it onto and damaged a lot some of the runway too so it actually was in the water slash right area yeah so, so it was in it they crashed into tokyo bay yeah yeah right exactly. and or par- yeah. partially in the partially the and i think that's the thing like the half of the i think the the plane split and that's the problem like where it split is where the people who were in that kind of middle area were fell into the water and maybe they were they they were seat belt to the seats so they weren't able to mm. you know escape in to time so they drowned. a lot of them yeah so a lot of them were like drowned just from there and some other ones were injured uh, during the crash and they died that way too so yeah right. well seiji-san he made it out yeah and not only that like uh he even though he killed what 24 people mm. um pretty much because of his mental illness he had he didn't even really go to court he wasn't even found guilty he was just like not charged because he was charged but the prosecution decided to you know dismiss because he was diagnosed with mental illness even right. before the the crash so there was no way they would be able to win so pretty much he just was released but he was of course released into medical mental you know clinic facility. institution mm-hmm. facility i don't know I, I couldn't figure that i couldn't find any research to find out how long he stayed in the facility or what happened to him. All I know is after he was released, he continued to live in, I believe, Kanagawa is where he was living. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he had an older sister who took care of him um, throughout his life. I think he's still alive. He's in his 70s, I believe. And uh, I think he even had a driver's license. He was back to driving and stuff. But like, there was no real Jeez. information to confirm exactly what happened. Of course, he never flew again. But right. I hope he's not a bus driver. Pretty- no, hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully he's like just at home, you know. Well, you know so. what's also intriguing about this is because there were che- there were mental fitness checks, mm-hmm. and the people, the psychiatrists, or those who were in in power of deciding if somebody's fit to fly or should be grounded, right? They gave him the go ahead that he was okay to fly. Exactly. Well, should they be held responsible for this accident? See, that's the thing, like some people criticize JAL because knowing that he had mental illness, they let him fly again. But then JAL also criticizes the the therapist saying, well, we got the okay, go ahead from them. They're the one that were checking on him and they said it's okay. So it's not our fault. So I don't know who's to blame. I guess everyone's a little bit to blame. But I think the therapists themselves, I guess it's hard to tell who's going to do what and maybe... The therapist who was talking to him, we don't know what Seiji said to him, so he could be acting normal at times. And mm. like he said, maybe going to hallucinations and that hallucination time is different from his therapy time. So we don't know exactly what the therapist knew about them. But I would say whether the therapist thought they were he was getting better or not, I think the main fact was he'd already had some problems before and and other people had also complained about like even customers of the flights had complained before because they'd had like he had had that many occurrences not just that one day before the flight but even like many times before that he'd had things like for example he'd not land in time like he wouldn't do the landing stuff in time so he'd have to do a go around or um, he would change course where he's not supposed to and he, like stuff like that oh. so there was already a whole bunch of stuff that he was doing wrong right. so think having his history 
maybe if the therapist had seen other, maybe the therapist wasn't aware of his other record. Right, on, his on work flight. record. Right. So if they'd known about, okay, he's done like 20 different things wrong over the last five years and it's escalating probably. So maybe I shouldn't let him fly again. So I don't right. know who was not mis not communicating with who. So it could have been like everyone's kind of all together. The family also could have warned, like they knew that he's going through stuff. So they could have told a doctor who could have told his therapist, like, okay, sure. the family's complaining, like his friends, his coworkers, his co-pilot could have complained because not only his co-pilot, but other coworkers. He had some times where he just like have to cancel this flight because something was wrong with him. So then everyone who was on his flight would have to like be delayed or be moved to somewhere else. So everyone knew something's wrong with him, mm. but no one really said anything. So I guess it's like everyone's fault at yeah. that time. Yeah. And you made a really interesting point about the cultural difference between you know Japan and and the West where we're from, uh, yeah. where this the senpai kohai thing where he <laughs> he was the pilot, the yeah, pilot yeah. is the is captain, a number yeah. one. He's oh he's, yeah he's the captain. Yeah. Uh, and you know they they get the final say in what happens on a flight, right? You know whether they're right. gonna they're gonna go a different direction or you know whatever whatever happens they have to make some some decisions uh, right. mid flight. To uh, you know, protect the the uh, passengers and crew. Yeah. Um, but because he was the captain, his his co-pilot, uh, you know, refrained from turning him in or saying, "Look, you know, mm -hmm. Captain, uh, was his name Katagiri? He's he's uh, yeah. you know, he's been flying erratically, and we need to have him evaluated because he's just, he's not." fit to fly i think yeah yeah um, but i think it's just a that. respect thing yeah because it's yeah. like a kind of respect and also fear because you don't want to call out your boss because you don't want to face the consequences because if he calls out his boss and his boss you know Cash has wind power yeah, yeah yeah he could be in trouble so i think a lot of people quit quiet quiet because of that and yeah. a lot of companies are still like that in japan where like you just have to follow the boss whether he's right or wrong and you know yeah it's just the way it is well, shoot! But if there if there ever were a time to rat out your boss, yeah, exactly, this right? would be, It'd be something you know, like that, right? Geez. Yeah, anyone who's doing stuff like even like doctors, you know, who are doing operations and stuff. If you find out your doctor just before surgery is drinking or something like that, you know, you want to tell somebody before they go into a surgery, you know, a drunk mm -hmm. or something. So it's the sure. like, same thing. Like when lives are at stake, sometimes you need to like, you know, overstep that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this reminds me of another mm -hmm. case that I'm, you're okay. probably familiar with. It's another airline calamity. Okay. okay. In uh, Japan? It, in Japan, right. Okay. This one was on ANA. So, you know, the two main the two, carriers yeah. in Japan are right. JAL and, and Zeniku ANA. Okay. Um, so this was in 1999. This is the year oh. I came to Japan. Oh, wow. Okay. And does this ring a bell? The guy, he, he dreamt of becoming a pilot. Yes. And... His dream was so strong and his desire <laughs> so, so convincing that he took over a flight. Okay. <laughs> you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I kind of heard, I've heard that story, but it sounds like a, a typical otaku kind <laughs> of like crime kind of thing going yeah. on. Yeah. Right. Well, this guy, this uh -huh. guy, he, uh, he kind of figured out at Haneda Airport a security lapse. 
Okay. Um, down near the baggage claim, there was a an area of access into the uh, the boarding gates. Mm-hmm. Um, so he brought a knife with him to the oh. airport. Okay. He had planned to take over a flight. Wow. And this is another case of um, red flags and okay. and letting him get by because his 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 counselor and his mother both knew, or at least his mother knew that he had packed a a knife in his carry on bag. Wow. Um. Yeah. And there were some other some other red flags. Okay. Uh. That that went ignored. Um. But anyhow, he made his way to the to the airport. Mm-hmm. And he got on this flight, and it was a seven four seven. This was a jumbo jet. Okay, so he got on the flight with a knife on carry on. Yes, so he was able to he he like by through? studying this. Yeah, this, yeah, he cut this through the, the baggage claim. The, yeah, he found a loophole at the airport. Okay, and made it up to the to the uh the the boarding gate. Yeah, uh, got on, and mm-hmm. and a couple minutes, maybe ten minutes after the flight started, he pulled the knife, yeah. and it was a. It was a flight from uh, Tokyo to Sapporo in okay. Hokkaido. Okay. And uh, actually, yeah, just a couple minutes after takeoff, he got out of his seat and he, he approached a flight attendant and put the knife in her back. Didn't stab her, but was yeah, like, yeah. take me to the cockpit. Right, right. Wow. Um, and he was a big time flight simulation otaku. Right, right. And okay. he, he wanted to fly a real plane. So he, he got in the cockpit. And he forced the co-pilot out. He was mm-hmm. there with the pilot. Yeah. And then he insisted that they fly to Yokota Air Base, which is the U.S. Air Base. How weird is that? Okay. Maybe because he's like into the army and stuff too. So he kind of wanted. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't okay. know. Well, so the pilot refused that. Okay. Um, and that's when trouble started. So he knifed the pilot. Ah, wow. He so murdered he the pilot. The pilot, okay. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, killed the pilot, and uh, there was you know, the the others who were were forced out of the the cockpit. They heard yeah. the ruckus going on, and thank God, mm-hmm. uh, the co-pilot and another passenger broke back into there oh, and nice. apprehended him um, okay. as he was behind the the wheel of the plane. Right, right, right. Controls oh, wow. the plane. Okay, okay. It was plummeting. And uh, they were very close to the ground. Mm. Um, Is this because he was hoping to crash or he just was a bad pilot? He was trying to like figure things well, out. Well, no, I yeah. think, well, supposedly after he was debriefed by the authorities, yeah, he had planned to fly the plane under the Rainbow ah, Bridge. Under the bridge? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is there enough space for a jumbo jet? I... I <laughs> Wow, I would okay. hope so if if yeah. he indeed got it, to yeah. that point. But yeah. they were very low to the ground, and that was his that was his ambition his dream, was to right? uh, yeah. Okay. So clearly a nutter. He was he yeah. was completely yeah. Another uh, mental illness case for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah actually, yeah, I would he, say sorry. I was just going to say like half more than half the crimes right the writing I do for the crimes. I would say half more than half of them have something to do with mental illness, like. Most of the most of the motivation is usually it's you know how in most countries the 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 main reason for murder is is love passion or money, but mm. in Japan it's like just mental illness at least for most of the cases that I found. Interesting. So, 
Yeah, it's really strange. So wow. I'm not surprised about the simulator otaku. So. Yeah. Well, if, if it could play the uh, modern flight simulators, like the games today are way more advanced than 1999. Yeah, for sure. Maybe that would have been good enough for him. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, it's it's a sad reality. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This the mental illness can be really, when gone unchecked, or even yeah. in these cases, it was not unchecked. Yeah. It was checked. Uh, but these people still, mm. uh, you know, made it into uh, places that they shouldn't have been. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know scary. if it's like, like you, you were talking before of like mental illness is going unchecked or it's not being treated properly because I don't know if medication is a big thing, but I feel like in Japan, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but from what I've heard, like I, for example, I had a friend who suffers from ADHD. Um, Mm-hmm. But in Japan, they don't, they're not allowed to give any medication for ADHD. It's not considered like there's no, all the medication that in America or whatever is used for ADHD is illegal in Japan. So it's more like, mm-hmm. a, oh, you're fine. You just got to like focus more. You just got to like, you know, exercise and relax. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of like, yeah, you have mental illness, but it's not the extreme mental illness where you're going to go kill somebody. So we're not going to give you a medication. And then I feel like, that stresses people out more because they're not getting better. And then that just escalates to getting more and more sick. Right. So maybe even though there is some acknowledgement of mental illness in Japan, I think the way they treat it is maybe not because even therapy is kind of looked down upon here, right? Like it's everyone in America and Canada goes therapy all the time. That's like their new hobby. But like in Japan, like if you don't, there's there's something wrong with you. And in Japan, it's like, it's so weird. If if anyone if anyone in Japan said, "Oh, I have I have a therapy appointment," you'd be like, "Oh, oh, cuckoo," and like you never like talk to them yeah. again. So it's like so different, right? <laughs> so I think that's part of it. Yeah. Oh, it's totally yeah. different. Well, yeah. That's 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 you know, like I was saying, it's it's still it's an ongoing developing yeah. Yeah, it's very kind new of, here. of uh, industry. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So, um, which is too bad, but I mean, they're starting to acknowledge and a lot of these big yeah, companies yeah. Um, are, are adding that to their, their priority is, is offering uh, counseling. Yeah, which and, is a good step. Know, yeah. Um, it's definitely, yeah, absolutely. So hopefully absolutely. things get better, but yeah, like I think the, along with that, like mental illness and just add top of that COVID and then on top of that, you know, just, the general internet and online society and, you know, Nichan and all these things like Reddit and stuff and Twitter. I feel like all of it combined is just like a, it's like a terrible, you know, it's, it's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And I can see why the Hikikomori cases and stuff are increasing. And it's like, it's scary. Like, and I love Japan because it's so safe and I felt so safe all the time, but I was just like, I was surprised at how, lonely everyone is like everyone's in their own little ball and like no one like actually you know talks to people or gets out or yeah you of course it's like tokyo is a big city everyone's all out and about there's bars and thing and everything but like everyone's in their own little head and like it's hard to like you know communicate or socialize Mm -hmm. with anyone for real so i can see how it gets really lonely and crazy and you know hectic so well, yeah, like, and imagine, like you just said, you know, with with the past two two and a half years of mm-hmm. COVID, people being stuck yeah. in their homes, and how many hikikomori have been created? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because there's a that. lot of people who in Japan who are also like you know hypochondriacs, so they'll they were already wearing masks every day and staying away from people, and 
mm. you know, social distancing. So on top of that, now there's COVID. So they're like, I knew it. That just confirms like staying away from people is the best. And then just even more, right? Yeah. Well, so just for the listeners who don't know, Hikikomori, oh, right, right. What, what is uh, that? Hikikomori is, I guess in English would be a, a recluse, would be the closest word. Like somebody mm. who's like stays home, doesn't have a job, doesn't really socialize with anyone. Is kind of not scared, but like refuses to like participate in society. So a lot of the times that I've heard the Hikikomori case, they have like parents who are kind of like enabling them as well. So like... They'll just slide yeah. food under their door or just leave it outside their door and just like send money. Like, you know, like they have pretty much they can live their life in their bedroom without leaving their bedroom. And they don't have to do get, have a job or go out or meet anybody because they have a computer. They have a cell phone. They have food free from their parents set outside the door. So it's right. like, you know, being right. a five year old for the whole for your whole life. So, yeah. It's yeah. Kind of, and, you know, and who knows when those people will just eventually yeah snap. right yeah yeah exactly because right. it's like solitary confinement yeah. right it's like you're always alone all mm -hmm. the time so yeah it's yeah. scary those yeah. I've, i'm sure those wow. are some of the people that commit most of these crimes that i'm writing about too so yeah i think i wrote one story about a guy who was like a hikikomori who he kidnapped the girl and he kept her in his room bedroom for nine years um and he hid her in his closet and uh he kidnapped her and he just, he would get food from his mom and his mom was not allowed to come upstairs to his bedroom area. And he's this guy's in his thirties. It's not like he's a teenager. Yeah. Like a wow. 38 year old man or something. And he, I, I think he got like a, I think she was nine years old when he like kidnapped her. And then when they found her, she was like almost 20. So she was like a teen, like, you know, almost an adult before she. And the whole time her, her mother, his mother didn't know that there was another person. Well, she claimed she didn't know, but I'm sure there were signs, but she was kind of scared to say anything because her son would be angry or something. So I don't know. I'm not sure, but uh, I mean, she could be lying, but she claimed that she didn't know. So, um, yeah. and then, yeah, she, the girl was missing and people were looking for her family and this whole, you know, whole town was looking for her for like, yeah. I think it was nine years. And they finally like, yeah, it was Sad. weird. So, uh, but the good news is like he didn't like sexually abuse her or anything like that. I think mm -hmm. he was just like like I like you said he was a recluse, he was a hikikomori, he was lonely and he was kind of like you know, just messed up. So he just needed I I mean, I don't I think he just talked to her and I think after a couple of years he finally let her gave her a TV and let her watch TV for a bit and you know, so I I think he wanted a pet. I think I'm sure I'm pretty much like <laughs> yeah oh, exactly so it was weird but yeah Damn, stuff like man. that I, it doesn't surprise yeah. me anymore so no nothing's yeah. new under the sun yeah. is it well that's yeah that's crazy well i want to thank you no so problem. much for uh these fascinating <laughs> yeah. cases I'm glad and, you enjoy them and yeah yeah i do indeed looking forward to a lot more from you um yep. and uh hopefully japan will continue to uh Sure. provide you with stuff to write about. <laughs> it's a good and bad thing yeah, I, know. I know so yeah, it's an, yeah. it is a bittersweet uh yeah. thought because i think uh, i have almost a yeah. hundred stories on my uh yeah wow. on my profile of like all the articles i've written of, of true crime in japan so yeah Holy it's moly. a lot of the big ones I didn't realize yeah that many. so um but like i said yeah i even like anything that has a little bit of like a twist to it i've pretty much covered mm -hmm. so oh excellent well, I hope you'll join us again. Yeah, for sure. Yes. 
and feel free to uh, invite me whenever you have anything interesting. Japan or non-Japan is okay too. Okay, cool. I like learning about different yeah, times too. Excellent. Well, so. well, a big shout out and thank you to S.A. Osborne for joining us for this very interesting Homicide Inc. podcast. Be sure and check out his true crime stories on Medium. The link is in the description here on this podcast. I'm sure we'll have him back for more episodes in the near future. I'd like to invite you to rate this podcast, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. Please click the stars and leave a review if you would. This helps tremendously in getting our podcast into more ears. Thank you so much. Also, make sure you subscribe so you'll get the notifications as soon as a new episode is released. And be sure to check out our Patreon campaign for exclusive homiciding podcasts that are available first to patrons. That information is in the description also. And if you have a compelling true crime story you'd like me to consider investigating, please send me an email. And if you'd like to help support the production of the Homicide Inc. podcast, you can always buy us a cup of coffee. Those details are also in the description and on the Homicide Inc. website where you can hear all the podcasts and see some other cool stuff. Thank you very much, and we'll see you again very soon. Ciao for now.